We are going to be in the uh, Gospel of Mark this morning. If you would turn with me on, if you have a black Bible, to page 844, I'll read it for you this morning. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. If you do not have a Bible, please go get one and keep it. That is our gift to you. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he, Jesus, began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man." And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, your illuminating, radical, life-transforming word. It It has come to us through disciples, through prophets. And it now comes to us in in the form of preaching this morning. And so I pray that we would hear you today. Especially as you call us yet again to follow you. What it looks like to follow you is not easy. What it looks like to follow you down your road is not for the faint of heart. And yet it is that thing that will fill our hearts. And so, Lord, by the Spirit, you must work in us today. Would you do so in your name? We ask this. Amen. So the Guinness Book of World Records, they have a billion categories, and they have a category for everything. But this one was new to me. They have a category for the longest continuous search for the Loch Ness Monster. You ever heard of that one? The longest continuous search for the Loch Ness Monster. Monster. 25 years ago, this guy named Steve Feltman arrived at Lake Loch Ness in the UK to search for this clandestine, this clandestine creature, and he has not given up yet. 25 years searching for a mythical water beast. Now, why would someone devote their life to that? Their entire life, all of their money, all of their time, all of their energy devoted to this weird task. Now, he knows that he is weird. He does. There he is. But this is what he says. This is why he does it. The reason that I sit here and try to solve this mystery is because that is what makes my heart sing. That's what makes my heart sing. Now, he's a weirdo, self-admitted weirdo. 
But the idea that someone would give their life for something is not weird, is it? The idea that someone would give up their time, their energy, their money for a single endeavor is not weird at all. And in fact, many of us do it. In fact, I would say that we all do it at some level. It may not be as strange and narrow as searching for the mythical Loch Ness Monster, but everyone pursues something to make their heart sing. In a word, what do we do? We sacrifice to get what we want. Some people say that we live in the suburbs, we live outside of the city, so that we don't have to sacrifice. It's an, it's an opportunity to not sacrifice. We live here because it's easy, it's simple, it's safe, it's comfortable, and that's all true. But don't tell me that we don't sacrifice to live here. We commute hours and hours. We invest endless amounts of time and energy and money into our kids. We spend days and weeks and sometimes months and paycheck after paycheck fixing up our homes. To live in the suburbs takes an amount of sacrifice. And listen, sacrifice is not bad. We sacrifice for personal and family fulfillment. We sacrifice to do what that guy Steve does to make our hearts sing. Now, here's the question that always presses up against us, what we are always wondering about. Have we, as a people, have we sacrificed for the wrong thing or things? To gain the entire world, to gain family achievement, to gain personal fulfillment, to gain that singing heart. In the process, are we actually losing it? Are we losing out on the thing that we so desire? Now, when Jesus came into the world, he came in like an earthquake, and he spoke to the disciples, and his answer to this deepest of problems was this, the deepest of questions was this, in order for you to gain the world, you must die. In order for your heart to sing and sing eternally, the shape of your life must be in the shape of the cross. Now, whether you believe in Christ this morning or not, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, his question comes to all of us in the same way, and it comes to us the same. What will you give to follow me? What will you sacrifice to follow me? So we have three points this morning, as usual. The call to follow, the cost of following, and the man that we follow. Here's the first point, the call to follow. I want you to look at Mark 8:34 right in the middle of our passage this morning. What does it say? And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me." So just picture that scene with me for a second in your mind. Picture what was going on there. Jesus is there with the disciples. And if you remember from our scripture reading, he has just revealed who he really is. He is the Messiah. Peter had figured it out and he confirms it. Yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. But then immediately after, he says what that means. And what that means is that he has come to die. And the disciples barely have a chance to respond to him, to take this in. And he calls out to the crowds to get close. Come to me, everyone who's around, come to me. 
And he says this, he says this, he says, listen, you all have been following me. I know you've been following me around. You've been following me around like Grateful Dead fans from place to place. You've been, you're my groupies, but I, you need to understand that to follow me is going to take more than simply hanging on to my coattails. Now I'm going to finally tell you to, to follow me will cost you your life. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And take up his cross. Now at this point, Jesus, of course, had not gone to the cross, so they didn't know anything about him and this journey that he was on, except for the fact now that he was supposed to die, but nothing about a cross yet. And so you have to understand that when they heard that word, what they were thinking is not something like it's an interesting factoid. When they heard that word cross, it would have been shocking. It would have been horrifying. Did he really say to us that we would have to take up our crosses? Is he serious? So the cross in first century Rome was the symbol of oppression and terror. Rome held it over the people to subdue them, to make them suffer, to live in terror. This is how N.T. Wright, a scholar, describes the cross in first century Rome. This is what he says. Crucifixes regularly appear as jewelry in today's post-Christian, post-Christian Western world. And the wearers are often blissfully unaware that their pretty ornament depicts the ancient equivalent, all in one, of the hangman's noose, the electric chair, the thumbscrew, and the rack. Or to be more precise, something which combined all four but went far beyond them, crucifixion was such an utterly horrible thing that the very word was usually avoided in polite Roman society. He doesn't just bring it up as a factoid. If you want to follow me, you will take up that horrible, awful thing. In other words, he is outlaying to them, he is outlining for them what it means to follow him. It was the greatest sacrifice, the greatest of costs. I just want to kind of unpack what that would look like, what that meant, what he meant for them. So the first thing he says in that verse 34 is what? That they are to deny themselves. Deny yourself and follow me. Now that doesn't just mean that you're supposed to deny the things that you love. You're not just supposed to deny yourself food or you're not supposed to deny yourself sitting on the couch. You should go running. No, that's not exactly what he means. To deny yourself is something more fundamental, something deeper. It means that you must stop following yourself and following Jesus. So if you didn't know it, you follow you. You follow your conscience, your own heart. And most of the time, you're not following the Lord. You're following what you think is best. And so to follow him is to stop obeying your own heart and obey his, obey his life, his will. Now, the reason I think this is true is because of what happens with the discussion that Peter has with Jesus right before the crucifixion. So Mark 14.30 says this, And yet Jesus said to Peter, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. There's that word again. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now, what did Peter do? He denied him, of course. You all know that story. The second that Jesus was sentenced and put on trial, he rejected his Lord. He denied him. Now, why did he do it? 
Why did he deny Jesus right then and there? Well, he became afraid. And what did he start doing? He, he listened not to the Lord, but to himself. He obeyed himself. But Jesus says this. He says, if you want to truly follow me, you must do the opposite. In your quest to follow Jesus Christ, have you denied yourself? Have you, not, have you stopped obeying your own heart and obeyed his? Now, when you deny yourself, of course, that means in your obedience, you will go where we just said, to the cross. To the cross. You will, you will carry your own cross. And this means a couple of things. First, it means, it means that you will give up your control. To deny yourself and take up your cross is to give up control. Back in that day, the cross was the ultimate form of submission. Criminals would have to take up their cross and carry it to the place of the crucifixion. It was this huge, heavy, brutally rough construction of wood. They would put on their backs and carry it where the Roman soldiers would tell them to go. Jesus says, you must bear your cross. In other words, you must carry it. You must lose your control and go where you are supposed to go. That's terrifying. I remember when I was, I was like 28, I was in my house, I tripped, I fell, I hit my head. My wife called the ambulance because there was blood everywhere and I'd passed out. And the, the, the ambulance shows up and the paramedics come into my house. I was awake at that point. And they asked the question, does your neck hurt? And I made the mistake of saying, a little bit. Instantaneously, I was my back was on a board, my head was strapped down, and I did not move from that position for four hours. And it was maddening, not being able to move. We take up our cross by letting go of our control. It also means if you take up your cross that you will bear ridicule. That criminal carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem condemned criminals, and the Roman authorities wanted everyone to know it. This was part of the act. It was part of the show. They wanted you to be mocked and spit on as you, were walk, as you walked through the city. They wanted you to bear scorn and derision. Jesus says, you will do that. You will bear your cross to follow me. If we bear Christ, if we simply say that we are Christians, we will often, you know this, they're ridiculed. We will be mocked. We will be rejected. To bear your cross is to bear ridicule. Here's the last thing. When you bear your cross, you will suffer. You will suffer. In other words, to bear your cross means that your life will not be easy. If you want to sign on the dotted line with Jesus, if you, it is not going to be a life of champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Don't devote your life to Jesus if you think everything is going to go well with your career and your kids. Don't devote your life to following Christ if you think you will never have to follow a hard road and give up your sin big and small. Do not follow Jesus if you think that he is going to keep you the same. He is going to change you from the inside out. C.S. Lewis said this once. I love this. I didn't go to religion, to this faith, to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. 
To follow Jesus is to deny yourself. It's to take up your cross. And you see the last verse, the last part of that verse there? To follow Jesus, you must follow Jesus. It's kind of redundant. If anyone would come after me, he should follow me. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? And here's my best answer to this. I don't know. And what I mean is, I do not know what that means for you. Putting your hands in the life, putting your life in the hands of Jesus Christ could mean anything. The sky is not even the limit with him. But I know that it will mean obedience, independence, it will mean becoming like him, a life utterly lived for him, a life lived in holiness and rejection of sin, a life lived in kindness and love, a life lived in sacrifice for others, a life that is not ashamed to speak his name and gospel, a life that is lived to tell others, to tell the lost about his life. Jesus stands before you, not back then, but now. He says to you, he speaks to you, he calls out to you, will you follow me even unto death? Now the call is not just a cross, though. We need to be honest about that. The cross is the pathway to something else. It is the pathway to joy. We need to add this at the end here. Verse 35 says what? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Just look at that. That is so beautiful. It is the most beautifully paradoxical thing that anyone has ever said. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Friends, if you would deny yourself, if you would take up your cross, if you would follow Jesus With your whole heart, you will find life. You will find life. Or you could say it this way. If you lose your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, you will not really lose your life at all. You will finally find that thing that makes your heart sing. You have that? Have you heeded his call? Here's the second point this morning. The cost of following. The cost of following. Now jump up to verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And the last little part there, and he said this plainly. Okay, stop there. Now that word plainly is important. It's an important word. It's a pretty good translation, but what I want you to understand is that it is a very strong plainly. You should bold that, underline that in your Bible. It is a very strong plainly. And the reason that I say that is because up up until this point, Jesus was very cryptic about who he was and what what he was there to do. He had not been plain, in other words. He had not been forthcoming with who he was, what he was there on earth to do. But now, in just a few words, he uncovers it all. He puts it all onto the table. Now, here's my question. How does Peter take it? Not well. Verse 32. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. In other words, Peter was not happy with Jesus. He had heard him, what he was selling, and he was not buying. I had this friend one time, probably told the story before, 
And his parents had gotten him a car for Christmas. And this was a big family, and no one else had gotten a car before. But he was 16. They wanted him to have it, and so they bought this new car for him. They blindfolded him. They walked him out as the last big present on Christmas morning. They had a big bow on it, and they undid the, 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 the blindfold. They put it down, and he sees it. And he looks at it for about five seconds. And he turns around and walks back inside. He did not want that car. That was not the car that he wanted. Peter is not having anything that Jesus is selling. He is so horrified by Jesus' statement that what does he do? He does not just walk away. He goes after him. He lays into him. Just think about this. He lays into the Messiah. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Verse 32. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Of man. So just think about Peter's life. Think about why he would be so driven right there in that moment to go after the guy that he just said was going to be the leader of the free world. He goes after the guy that he said that he confessed was the Messiah. The Messiah they had been waiting hundreds of years before. So he goes from, you are it. You are the Lord. You are the ultimate teacher and leader and warrior and king. So I'm going to tell you what for. Why would he do that? The answer is revealing, and it is because Peter's identity was on the line. And he was willing to scold the Messiah to protect it. And I just want you to see it this way. So Peter comes and scolds him, and Jesus sees the disciples out of the corner of his eye. And he says to himself, okay, I'm going to make this a teaching moment. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to tell him what's for. He says, get behind me, Satan. He's not really just speaking to Peter. He doesn't think that Peter is Satan. No, he wants them all to know that the language that he is using is demonic language. It is demonic language. It is the language that the father of lies loves. And so he is going to set him straight. And now he's not just telling Peter and the disciples, but he's going to tell the whole crowd what it means to follow him. And so I think he's thinking of Peter's response when he says, verse 35, hear it again, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Peter is not willing to lose his life, is he? But I want you to understand how deep that word goes. How deep that word goes. That word life there. Whoever who would lose, would, would save his life, would lose it. Now in the Greek, that's actually the word psyche. Psyche, the word psyche. And we get the word psychology from that. And so it means, of course, something more than simply our physical life. But it actually means something even more than the life of our mind. In the Greek, it is a deep and widespread word, and it means this. It means something akin to our personality, our identity. Psyche in the Greek means the totality of who you are. What drove Peter to scold the Messiah? He feared losing himself. Now, of course, he feared losing his physical life. He knew that anyone associated with Jesus was 
with, with this criminal that, that Jesus had just told him that I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to be a criminal. He feared, he knew that if anyone was associated with Jesus, Rome would come after them too. So he feared his physical life. He also feared, though, losing Israel's victory. This is important. When Peter looked at Jesus and he said, you are the Messiah, he did not see the suffering servant. He saw a king, a powerful king who would finally topple Rome and bring Israel back to its rightful place, bring Israel back into power. So he feared losing his physical life. He feared losing Israel's victory. But here is the main thing, I think. I think he was fearful of who, to, he was afraid to lose who he had become. And here's what I mean. With Jesus, Peter had become great. A poor, uneducated fisherman raised to the level of the right hand of the Messiah. Pride, power, thoughts of glory, and so the second that Jesus said, I am going to die a criminal's death, it is not surprising that Peter lost it. This is not how I pictured it. This is not how it is supposed to be. For Peter, this was worse than physical death. To lose his glory, his power, his very identity. Now friends, we need to see ourselves in Peter's shoes. We need to put ourselves there because we are apt to respond just like him. We are just like Peter. Jesus often comes to us and he tells us what it means to follow him, but what he asks goes straight to our hearts, to our personalities, to our, to our identities, and we are told that you must even put those things on the line. And friends, what do we do? We scold him or we ignore him because what he is asking is too much. What do we fear losing, especially in the suburbs? What do we fear losing? We fear losing our careers our money, our options. We fear being mocked or rejected by family or friends or coworkers. We fear giving up our sins, big and small. We fear losing the safety and success of our kids, the advancement of our careers. We fear losing our comfort, our free time, taking Sundays off or something else. What is Jesus calling you to give up for him? You must hear his call ringing in your heart. What is your cross that you will bear, that you will take up? My guess, here's my guess, is that it will be something that will make us want to respond like Peter. You know you're getting close when you want to take Jesus aside and scold him. You want to take him aside and tell him what's for. I do know this for, for certain, that it will be that thing that keeps you from following Christ with your whole heart. And the question always goes this way. Is it worth it? It always ends with this. Cost-benefit analysis. Is giving up my identity, my personality, worth it to follow this man? Here's the last point this morning. The man that we follow. The man that we follow. So as we already said, we know that Peter denied Jesus, right? At the end of his life, right as the crucifixion is about to happen, he denied him, even though he said he wouldn't. I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. And he did it. He denied him. But his life changed 
the minute, the second Mary uttered, uttered those words after he had finally died, when she said, the tomb is empty, somehow Peter went from self-serving glory seeker to a self-sacrificial Christ follower. And we need to understand why. Why his life changed. And here I think the answer is simple. He believed the man. Finally, he believed the man. He finally saw and believed and loved the man he was supposed to follow. Friends, I want you to think long and hard about your lives. What Jesus is calling to you. In the end, it's not to worldly goods. In the end, it's not even to an idea. He is not even calling you ultimately to the cross. No, the cross was the way to get to this one thing. Jesus wants you to follow him. Do not miss that. Follow him. This is the only way you will sacrifice your life for his. To follow him means to give your life for this man that you love and cherish, that you have intimate relationship with. And friends, so you have to ask yourself the question, do you know this man? Peter was four inches away from his face. Four inches away from his face as he scolded the Messiah. He could not have been closer. And yet he could, have not, he could not have been further away. But yet when Jesus broke through the evil and the suffering and the death, when he rose from the dead, the gap was closed. And here's what I think happened. The second that he rose, something clicked in his mind. I don't know if he remembered the exact words, but that thing that Jesus said to him was in his heart. And that thing is this, that Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die. He finally believed it. The Messiah, the Son of Man, came to the world and he had to die for us. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Linger on that word in your heart, your mind. He came and he had to suffer. He had to suffer. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to give his life for you? Only when we know that, only when we know why he came, will we believe him. We will trust him with an infinite love that he provides to us when we truly see him and believe him and know him. And friends, when you do know this man, you will not be able to keep anything back from him. He had to die because he had to forgive you. Jesus died to forgive you. And he had to, and the reason he had to is because if he did not forgive you, then no one else would have. Nothing else would have worked. Someone had to pay for your sin. This is how Josh Butler puts it. He says, let's say your neighbor crashes his car through your fence. When you discover the shambles, you forgive him. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the fence. All is forgiven. But forgiving your neighbor doesn't do away with the bill or, the dissol- or dissolve the damage. It means that you eat the cost. That's how it works. When there is a transgression, someone must pay. Either they pay or you pay. So what, is, so what do we say about our sin? How do we deal with our sin? Now we could pay. We could pay for it. 
But we have to understand that the penalty for our sin against an infinitely holy God is infinitely great. For us to pay for our sin will require an eternal death. Jesus had to die to save us from ourselves. We could not pay the penalty except for an eternal death. It wouldn't have taken a day or months or years or even centuries. All time. And yet he came and he died. He bore the infinite cost of our sin to die for us. Jesus had to die to forgive you. He also had to die to love you. Here's what I mean. He had to die to love you. Here's what I mean. Above all things, the things that will make our hearts sing is love. We need the love of another, but not just any kind of love. We need unconditional love. Now, we say that to our kids a lot, don't we? We unconditionally love you. We love you without conditions. But can I tell you what? That's not always true. It is not true down to the depths. It is so sad to me that often I love my kids in a conditional way. Not always, not all of the time, but there are times when I sin against them and I treat them not according to my love for them, but according to their behavior, according to their actions. So I confess and repent in my house a lot. Now, you may be better than me, but you are not perfect. Not even the best father or spouse or sibling can give our kids or give us perfect love. And yet that is what we need to fill our hearts. Who can do that? Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can give unconditional love. And do you know what proved that? The very cross of Christ. That is the kind of love that satisfies us and makes us truly to love others. Why did Jesus have to die? He died to forgive you and to give you the love that you so desperately need. But even knowing all of that is not good enough. Knowing all of that is not good enough to truly know this man, to know him intimately, and to give your life for him, you must know what he gave up to give it to you. What did Jesus give up to you? When you know the answer to that question, to the degree you know the answer to that question, you will love this man. For Jesus gave up his life. Not just his physical life. He gave up everything. His identity. The eternal Son of God gave up his identity on the cross. From glorified creator to a weak and powerless scapegoat. From perfect and sinless lamb to a bloodied and broken sacrifice. From beloved son to condemned sinner on which the father poured all of his wrath. Do you know this man? Do you know this Savior? He who did all this for you is the one who will make your heart sing. And friends, when you give your life to him, when you truly sacrifice for him, it will not feel like sacrifice at all. David Livingstone was a missionary to Africa in the 19th century. He was asked many times, often how it made him feel to leave the modern conveniences of England and go to deliver the gospel to needy people there. And he said this, away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. 
It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. What does he say there at the end? I never made a sacrifice. Friends, hear again the call of Jesus on your life this morning. Will you count the cost and follow him? Will you lay down your life and follow him? Will you give up all things and follow him? May it be so. May it make your heart to sing. Let's pray. God, would you attend to our spirits now, attend to our souls yet again. We who long to follow you in all ways, we are sinners. We screw this up so often. We serve two masters. We serve the masters of comfort and luxury and career and family. When you call to us yet again and you say, if you want to maximize those things, you will give up all for me. Now, God, this can be kind of amorphous, ambiguous. What am I supposed to do? And so you must show us. What am I supposed to give up? You must reveal that to us. And we know that you are kind and you will do so. I pray only that we would be ready. That we'd be ready to give up those things that make us want to run from you. But when we give into them, we discover that it is no sacrifice at all. I pray that for this body, for this church. We have so many things to do and so little time to do it. So would you use this people? May we be a people that follows Jesus. They can say anything that they want about us. The world can say anything. But may they say this. That is a people that follows Christ. Make this happen, O Lord, by your Spirit and your grace. Amen.